Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. Whether you're joining us live or watching the recording, later, it's good to find connection in all kinds of ways. If you're joining us on Zoom, please say hello in the chat. If you want to share your messages with everyone, please be sure that your chat settings are for everyone. You may notice that I am speaking from the podium in the main hall at the Washington Ethical Society. We've got a crew of production volunteers and trainees here in the hall practicing for the day when we can welcome attendees both in person and online. If you are hoping to attend in person beginning December 5th, keep an eye on your email and on the West website for the upcoming reservation form through Calendly. Meanwhile, we welcome all to this experimental time online in which we will learn from our mistakes and forgive each other generously. This is a good time to get a candle to light during our candle lighting. Once you are prepared, I invite you to settle into a comfy seat with your beverage of choice as we continue to gather. And I know that there are some folks who have joined us in the Zoom meeting. And let us see what uh, we have to say. All right. Remember the forgive each other generously part. All right. So. I am looking forward to seeing who has joined us in the chat in Zoom. And I see a couple of people have said their hellos. Joe London, great to see the West Hall, she says, nice background. Hi everyone, welcome to Eastern Standard Time. See, if you logged in early, you probably had uh, lots of time to figure out that it wasn't actually 10.30 yet. And Maceo says, a rebirth. Adam Limehouse says, so excited to see you all back in the main hall. And it is very nice to be here. Very nice to uh, think about the time when we will be able to have more than just a couple of scattered chairs together here. Laura T. says, good morning, visitors, guests, family, and members of WES. All is well, indeed. 
it is really very exciting to be here in the hall. And so let us have a So if you have not had a chance to get a candle to light later on, now is a good time to do that. So as you're prepared, I invite, once you're prepared, I invite you to settle into a comfy seat with your beverage of choice as we continue to gather. Opening words this morning are from the Reverend Tanya Marquez. She wrote both the English and the Spanish. No temas a la agitación, puesto que es el ritmo de la vida misma ser puesto en movimiento incitarte. No temas los movimientos que descentran lo que creías permanente. Llevas dentro del centro de tu entendimiento la brújula que te muestra el camino. Lleva contigo el amor que te sostendrá, la visión que te guiará, las relaciones con todos los seres y el mundo que te pondrán los pies sobre la tierra. Ve en paz y con una suave agitación, mueve a esta, este mundo hacia el lado del amor. Do not fear agitation. For agitation is the rhythm of life itself, to be put into motion, to be stirred. Do not fear the movements that center what you always thought permanent. You carry within the center of your understanding the compass to show you the way. Carry with you the love that will hold you, the vision that will guide you, the relationships to all beings, and the world that will ground you. Go in peace and in gentle agitation to stir this world to the side of love. We begin our platform with music from one of several guest musicians today. This is Jess Hudiman. There is more love
Good morning again, and welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I'm Judy Myers. My pronouns are she and her, and I am the officiant this morning. Visitors from far and near, we especially welcome you. We hope that you'll say hello in the chat and that you might send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, at maceot at ethicalsociety.org. That's M-A-C-E-O-T at ethicalsociety.org. You can also fill out a connection form. Someone will put that link in the chat. After today's platform, there will be a newcomer question and answer breakout group at virtual coffee hour. I'll share more details about that near the end of the platform. If you are a first time visitor, or if you've been coming for a while and are wondering about next steps, I hope you'll stick around for the Q&A. If you're visiting from another ethical society or another Unitarian Universalist congregation, you're welcome to extend those greetings in the chat as well. Our chat will stay open through much of the platform service, closing for the address itself and then reopening. If you do not want to see the chat, this is a good time to minimize it. Closed captioning is also available for our Zoom participants, and you can turn that on or off as you prefer. Each week, we read our statement of purpose as a reminder of our shared values. If you are interested in taking a turn to read the Statement of Purpose, you can sign up at tiny.cc readsop. Our reader this morning is Michael Dimian, a member of the SEEK team and the tech team. Michael is joined by Annie, who is a member of the third through fifth grade SEEK class, which will meet next week. I'll turn it over to Michael for a brief announcement, followed by a reading of the Statement of Purpose. Thank you, Judy. As a Sikh parent, I'd like to express my gratitude to Ndara Miles, Linda Irizari, Lynn Cox, and the numerous volunteers who are helping to revive Sikh for our children uh, while keeping us all safe. And as a Sikh volunteer, I'd like to encourage all the West parents and guardians out there of school-aged children to register your children to participate in SEEK. Even if you're not necessarily ready to have them involved right now, it would be really helpful to plan for the future. And now for the Washington Ethical Society Statement of Purpose. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility 
for each other and the earth. We warmly invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. If you have a candle at home, I invite you to light it now as Annie lights our candle in the hall and I share our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. And thank you, Judy. Good morning. My name's Lynn Cox. I am the interim leader here at the Washington Ethical Society. My pronouns are they, them. This is a story written by my colleague, the Reverend Kelly Weissman Aspruth Jackson. And Kelly wrote this in kind of a mythical format. So I don't know if the story happened exactly this way, but I believe it's true. There was once a crow who was very hungry and flying over the tops of the trees, it spied a large, tasty-looking walnut hanging from one of the tallest branches of one of the tallest trees. Thinking this was the makings of a fine supper, the crow swooped down and snatched the walnut in its beak. The crow flapped its wings happily and began to think about the best way to break the walnut open. Well, meanwhile, on the ground below, an equally hungry mouse was watching everything that had happened and decided it wanted some of that walnut for itself. So with a plan that was clever, but not especially nice, the mouse called up to the crow high in the tree, say there, friend crow, what have you got in your beak? And the crow, who was hungry enough by now that it wasn't making very good decisions, called back, I have a tasty walnut and I am going to eat it. But when it opened its beak to say all of that, the walnut fell down to the ground just as the mouse hoped that it would. But what the mouse didn't count on is that the walnut rolled across the ground and fell into a small hole. Well, the mouse ran to the hole, reached in to pull out the walnut, but the hole was just small enough that it couldn't reach in to get the walnut back all the way out. With both of its paws wrapped around, the walnut was too big to get back out of the hole. And the crow, meanwhile, unhappy at being tricked out of its supper, was up in the trees flapping its wings and yelling at the mouse. Well, the mouse couldn't leave because it was still holding on to the walnut, trying to get it out of the hole. Now, if the two of them had worked together, they both might have gotten to eat some of the walnut. The crow could have pecked its sharp beak into the small hole and broken up the walnut into small pieces. The mouse could have reached into the hole and gotten the pieces out one at a time to share. But instead, 
The two of them were stuck there, arguing with each other and both still hungry. The mouse because it couldn't let go and the crow because it couldn't hold on. As we move into the centering time of our platform, let's reflect on how we handle conflict, how to identify our values and our feelings with honesty while also leaving room for other people and creative ideas. Each week, we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I'm particularly mindful of medical professionals and scientists who are helping to bring out, to roll out vaccinations for children ages five through 11. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us open our hearts to compassion for those who suffer. And let us commit ourselves to the work that calls for our love. As we continue our moment of mindfulness, I invite you to close your eyes or soften your gaze. Wherever you are, whenever you're hearing my words, be in that time and place. Find a comfortable and stable position. If you're standing, don't lock your knees. If you're sitting, maybe put your feet flat on the floor. Hold your posture in a way that is alert and yet at ease. Take a nourishing breath, savor it, and release it. Let's listen to these words by Barbara Stevens. Let this be a circle of warm and gentle silence. The silence that soothes and comforts the wounded. The silence that yields insights into heart and soul. The silence that calms the silence that listens, the silence that speaks, the silence that renews. Let this be a circle of warm and gentle silence. We continue our meditation in silence and in the music that follows.
falls in I confess I've been trying so hard to keep it all out keep it all out so love I pray that you break my heart so Our reading this morning is an excerpt from See No Stranger by Valerie Quar. The author, Valerie Quar, is reflecting on a cross-country campus tour with her documentary film, Divided We Fall, about rising hate crimes after 9-11. She toured with Sharat Raju, who co-created the film with her and eventually became her husband. Deep listening is an act of surrender. We risk being changed by what we hear. When I really want to hear another person's story, I try to leave my preconceptions at the door and draw close to their telling. I'm always partially listening to the thoughts in my own head when others are speaking, so I consciously quiet my thoughts and begin to listen with my senses. Empathy is cognitive and emotional. To inhabit another person's view of the world is to feel the world with them. But I also know that it's okay if I don't feel very much for them at all. I just need to feel safe enough to stay, stay curious, 
the most critical part of listening is asking, what is at stake for the other person? I try to understand what matters to them, not what I think matters. Sometimes I start to lose myself in their story. As soon as I notice feeling unmoored, I try to pull myself back into my body, like returning home. As Hannah Arendt says, one trains one's imagination to go visiting. When the story is done, we must return to our skin, our own worldview, and notice how we have been changed by our visit. So I ask myself, what is this story demanding of me? What will I do now that I know this? When I listen that deeply, it feels like a dance between two poles, between myself and another person, between what is at stake for them and what is at stake for me. I call this the circle of listening. The dance can take place in any length of time, 90 seconds or 90 minutes. I can be listening to a friend on the phone or a survivor's testimony or an opponent's story. The process is the same. I draw close to them, return, respond, and draw close to listen again, moving in a circle animated by wonder. Sometimes I feel empathy, that is, I feel as they are feeling. Other times, say, when a child is in my care, a child in my care is waiting, wailing. A child in my care is wailing. I don't need to feel empathy in order to know how to respond. In fact, sometimes empathy gets in the way. For decades, documentary filmmakers have told stories about immigrants and refugees and survivors of violence. Empathy was the goal. The idea was that if we just humanized people, it would motivate audiences to action. But witnessing suffering does not necessarily lead to meaningful action. The credits roll, we go home or swipe the screen. We think that something has been accomplished because we are emotionally spent, but nothing has changed. We can have all the empathy in the world for a group of people and still participate in the structures and systems that oppress them. We might believe we are listening, but we have journeyed only half the circle. We've drawn close to the story and lost ourselves in another's experience, but we haven't returned to ourselves and asked, what does this demand of me? Is it the reckoning of my privilege? Is it an expansion of those struggles connect is it an expansion of whose struggles connect with mine? What do I do differently now? Our documentary film could have fallen into the empathy as destination trap, but when the lights went on, Sharat and I stood on the stage in the flesh and our presence demanded a response. Often Sikhs and Muslims who lived in the community stood up in the audience and told their stories. Two, voices cracking. Listening led to action. Students formed working groups, others penned essays for the school newspaper, some formed new friendships. Empathy gives rise to solidarity.
I have been the mouse and I've been the crow. I've been the one stuck in a conflict or an unproductive pattern because I couldn't hold on or couldn't come to terms with not holding on. And I've been the one who was stuck because I couldn't let go. Something I noticed about the story I told earlier is that the mouse and the crow were both hungry. And this may have contributed to their ability to make good decisions and to be kind. I can imagine a different end to this story in which both characters are somehow able to take a break, find something else to snack on, come back to resolve their differences by listening and acknowledging harm and making amends, and then begin organizing for a forest-wide campaign to end hunger for all beings. Their common enemy is scarcity, and they waste energy better spent against that enemy by being stuck in an argument with each other. These times in which we find ourselves give us plenty of opportunities to be in conflict. We have plenty of opportunities to protest against injustice, to resist dehumanization, to advocate for our basic needs and the basic needs of people we love. And partially because the times in which we live present so many challenges, there are temptations to view our interpersonal conflicts as representations of universal forces, to redirect the rage we feel about scarcity in our forest against our neighbor, the mouse or the crow, who is just as hungry as we are. All of us are wounded in some way. The communities that we share, the interdependent systems in which we live and move are wounded. There are broken relationships, broken systems of care, broken lines of ancestral wisdom that when healed could move us toward abundance and liberation. Those of us who experience marginalization, oppression, have additional vulnerability to harm and greater barriers for accessing safety or support or healing. This is the systemic challenge we face as a community of people working for a world where love and justice cross all borders. And that's not to say we can't personally hurt each other in ways that resonate with oppression. Of course we can, and unfortunately we do. And we keep trying to learn how to stop hurting each other. We will strive to be clear and curious and accountable in our relationships with each other. As we approach systemic challenges, we can be strategic about how to process and channel the rage, the curiosity, and the imagination that comes along with seeking life and joy and liberation as wounded people in a wounded world. Handling our interpersonal conflicts with love and skill and mutual recognition of our humanity is one aspect of working toward healing in the world. And I worry that humans sometimes have trouble telling the difference between working out our real conflicts and disagreements in good faith and channeling our resentments with the world against the people closest to us. In these times when there is so much personal healing and societal healing to be done, I hope that we can turn toward one another, not against one another, as we address both our disagreements and our common mission. 
In See No Stranger, a memoir and manifesto of revolutionary love, Valerie Kaur speaks about the systemic wounds of oppression, such as hate crimes, sexual assault, police violence, public policy that dehumanizes immigrants, and the prison industrial complex. And she does have personal examples of being either a witness or a recipient or both to many of these systemic harms and examples of restorative processes to address some of those personal harms. The framework she's developed keeps systemic change constantly in mind and helps readers find their unique place in that change. Last week, I spoke about the first part of the book in which she describes the risks and the gifts of loving others, the people we see as related to us or close to us through wondering, grieving, and fighting for justice. In the second section of the book, Core invites readers to consider our actions with regard to our opponents, people whose beliefs, words, or actions cause violence, injustice, or harm. And this can include people close to us, the people we love, as well as people that we don't know at all. Consistent with the title, See No Stranger, our opponents are still human. And it's important that we remember that. In Kaur's worldview, every person she meets is a part of herself that she does not yet know. Which doesn't mean that we should expose ourselves to harm when it's not safe to engage with a certain opponent. And I'll get to that later. The section, second section of the book, Tend the Wound, begins with the internal action of recognizing and naming our rage and processing that rage in safe containers so that it can be channeled effectively. Prepared in this way, if and when it is safe, we may have the capacity to listen to our opponents, not necessarily to reach agreement, but to remain grounded in humanization. Core writes, I do not owe my opponents my affection, warmth, or regard but I do owe myself a chance to live in this world without the burden of hate. Combining the wisdom gained from dealing with rage internally and from making space to listen, we reimagine a world in which all can flourish. Last week, I shared with you that part of my training as a clergy person included a round of a chaplaincy internship at a hospital. And there was a lot going on in the year leading up to that internship. I felt out of place in California, out of character as I tried to figure out how to fake being middle class in my first semester of graduate school, out of sorts as I learned more in my classes about formal analysis of systemic oppression with no clear personal path for addressing it. Also, I was working and going to school and not getting enough sleep or protein. I received some feedback that I came across as angry, often, and disproportionate to the situation. And maybe that was true. It's possible that some of my anger was focused in places where there was harm, but that was taboo to mention and possible that some of my anger was directed at the nearest target because I didn't have enough tools to process the past experiences that had left me wounded. 
So I came home to DC for my chaplaincy. When I told my supervisor about the feedback that I'd received, she said she didn't see it, but she could believe it was there. She said that anyone who cares about social justice has some anger inside somewhere. A change of scenery, a way to be of service, and a chaplaincy intern learning group, and then some therapy at the end of all that, provided the tools I needed to process my rage. One of the things I learned was that it helps me to have a container that includes both action and reflection. Embodied contemplative practice, ways of helping people, and a set-aside time and place to reflect on meaning and purpose are all necessary for me. I can't keep it all in my head or my heart. I also have to have some embodied experience. And I can't make good use of my experience unless I also engage my head and my heart. Together, a whole container of mind, heart, and body leads me, I hope, to use my anger to try to create communities of care and to join with others for systemic change. Rage can help us address harm when we know how to use it. Core writes of different tools that she found for recognizing, naming, and processing rage in her own life. Somatic therapy, acupuncture, physical therapy, retreats with co-conspirators, traditional dance, and music, to name a few. For those who are comfortable with ritual or celebrations or ceremonies, these can be designed as safe containers as well. A practice that helps us acknowledge and process our rage is especially important if we hold an identity that is discouraged from expressing anger. Some of us, by the nature of who we are and how we arrived in the world, are considered dangerous at all times and are taught to keep voices down so as not to scare the people who could hurt us. Some of us, by the nature of who we are and how we arrived in the world, are taught that our own emotions, especially anger, are not important, and that the relationships we depend on for survival will be dissolved if we express rage. And some of us, maybe some of us with a lot of privilege, might find that we have all too much latitude for expressing rage, more latitude than we have for expressing vulnerability or sadness. And we need containers where we won't accidentally hurt the people around us with the sharp edges of that privilege. So we might all need different kinds of safe containers, depending on what kinds of traps that systemic oppression has set up for us. We might need different people to help form a community to hold us in our pain. Core writes, just as we need accomplices to hold protected spaces where the most traumatized among us can tend to our grief, so too do we need accomplices to stand by us when we express our rage and help others understand it. She continues, it is a rhythm. Step away to rage, return to listen, and reimagine solutions together. Becomes a kind of dance to release raw rage in a safe container in order to send divine rage into the world like focused fury. The way of the warrior sage is not only loving kindness, but loving revolution, 
or revolutionary love. On the other side of rage awaits the ability to wonder again about at the spinning world. Core follows that sense of wonder to a practice of deep listening. And we've done a fair amount of work on that at West, particularly through the guidance of the Community Relations Committee. And we will keep working on our skills at deep listening. We don't need to complete a study of deep listening today. So I'll just make a few brief points. Core defines an opponent as any person whose beliefs, words, or actions cause violence, injustice, or harm. A loved one might be an opponent temporarily, accidentally causing hurt that aligns with oppressive systems we are living in. An opponent might be someone who spends a lifetime channeling money and organizational energy and time into reinforcing the systems that cause violence, injustice, or harm. In a range of cases, range of cases, once we have now acknowledged our own wounds, named our hurt and rage, and focused our attention, we might be able to turn to wonder, to think of our opponent as a human being, and to remember our own humanity in the process. She writes, listening enables us to fight in smarter ways for justice, not only to remove bad actors from power, but to change the cultures that radicalize them. Listening is how we succeed. The question, therefore, is not whether or not to listen to our opponents. The questions are, when is it my role to listen? When am I emotionally and physically safe? When can I take on the labor of listening when others are not safe to do so? We can all be one another's accomplices. At any given time, there are some opponents I cannot wonder about. I need others to do that labor for me as I tend to the wounds that they inflict. But there are some opponents I find that I am in a position to listen to. In these moments, it is time to turn to the practice of how. It begins with the art of listening to stories. As Core describes it, we aren't all in the same position for the same opponents with regard to listening. And this is why I want to be careful about how we set up listening in our shared space in this community. You might be safe enough to listen to a certain opponent, to try to understand their pain as a person and what systems undergird their ability to do harm. That doesn't mean it's safe for everyone in this community to do that. And if we try to do that listening in a public way, to do a performance of listening, we risk giving someone a larger audience for spreading misinformation and hurt. Listening is important and it requires some boundaries and discernment. The other point I want to make about deep listening is the complete circle that Core mentioned in the reading earlier. Listening to stories is part of it. Evoking empathy might be part of it. But having an intense emotional experience from entering someone else's story is not enough. After hearing a story, Core invites us to complete the circle and to ask, what does this demand of me? Is it the reckoning of my privilege? Is it an expansion of whose struggles connect with mine? What will I do differently now? Wes was an incubator of the Immigration Film Festival. I see in the festival and in Wes's involvement some of the same goals that Core describes. 
The object is not merely emotional tourism. Discussions with filmmakers and with members of the community help to transform stories into action. Immigration justice is one of the issues that I see West members most engaged with, from policy advocacy in partnership with CAN, the Congregation Action Network, and UUSJ, the UUs for Social Justice, to direct service to our neighbors through Food Justice DMV and the Afghan Welcome Project. The complete circle of listening humanizes the people involved in a complex set of stories and provides motivation and connections that move us to meaningful, focused action. The third part of tending the wound is to reimagine the structures and institutions that hold our society together. Core writes, in the traditional activist playbook, we resist the actions of our opponents with the goal of removing them from power. But the longer I spent listening to the stories of marginalized people tending to their wounds, the more I heard of a deeper longing for a future where we were all safe and secure in our bodies, free to pursue our dreams, where our social, political, and economic institutions supported not only our survival, but our flourishing. We could resist with all our might and never deliver such a future. We needed to do more than resist. We needed to reimagine the world. As Core points out, much of the injustice we resist today is simply rebranding the injustice that is built into the structure of this country, with tentacles reaching back to the first forays of European colonization. The history we are holding in this moment contains echoes of slavery, attempted genocide of indigenous people, exploitation of labor, and corporate evasion of responsibility in the name of profit. Some of what we do is resistance to try to minimize the harm that's caused in a wounded system. And meanwhile, we are also called to imagine and begin manifesting the world that could be the world of beauty and interdependence and equality. Reimagining the world is a huge project, and we can enter into that tapestry through a variety of threads. There are movements to reimagine the way we provide safety and accountability, movements to reimagine how we feed each other, and movements to reimagine how humans interact with the ecosystem. And on a smaller scale, when we create celebrations and communities and events that help us shift our paradigm about the world that could be, we are also doing that work. Singular moments can give us respite, feed our imaginations, and strengthen our bonds with each other to help us continue to work and to love and to find the gratitude and joy that's already here. Core quotes the historian Howard Zinn, the future is an infinite succession of presence. And to live now as we think human beings should live in defiance of all that is bad around us is itself a marvelous victory. And this is part of what we're here to do at West. This is why we create creative ways to be together when nothing can be the same as it was. This is why we gather online and outdoors, why we're launching Thai groups, why we're having Stone Soup Saturday in a couple of weeks, and why we will somehow, some way, figure out how to have a Winterfest in a new form. 
We are not seeking perfection. We are seeking a way to turn toward each other to practice being in the kind of world we dream about for the future. This community, the people hearing my words, are connecting from many different times, places, and life experiences. You may have arrived at this point of connection bearing wounds from hatred or oppression or neglect. Let us remember each other's humanity into the fullness of being. Let us help each other create safe containers to recognize and express and process rage so that we can channel our energy to transformation. You may have arrived at this point of connection with curiosity or a story to tell or both. Let us gather in tie groups and affinity groups and learning groups to practice the art of deep listening. You may have arrived at this point of connection with a longing for a different world, a world of abundance and justice and beauty. Let us be companions to each other in moving toward that world, creating moments that foretell it and movements that bring it into being. May it be so. After some music, we'll have community sharing time when you can write into the chat about what resonated with you today. In this time in between, you might prepare for community sharing by reflecting on a personal experience or an activity at West that illustrates the values we're lifting up today. As we contemplate, rest, and reflect, let us experience the beauty of the musical response. We know it in the mountain, reaching up to the sky. We know Do we know it in the 
This is the time when we add our own voices to the morning, sharing our reflections on the platform or what resonates with us in our own lives. I invite you to share in the Zoom chat or in the comments if you're watching the recording later. And you may see that the public chat has been re-enabled so that if folks have things that they would like to share, please do so. I, for one, would like to thank Lynn for a very thoughtful platform because it's given me a number of things to chew on and uh, I look forward to doing so. We've been talking about deep listening and I very much appreciate that. Peter himself says, this is the first time a sermon or platform has told me that we need to reimagine our world. Thank you, Lynn, says Peter. Rachel Hartig says, I so appreciate the focus on deep listening. It's such an important skill to acquire. If people would like to continue discussing this, we'll have an opportunity in the virtual coffee hour later. And I will come back to reading uh, additional comments 
Adam Limehouse says, agreed, especially paired with the need to remember, grapple, and find the best way to process or use anger at the injustices in the world. Laura Tyler says, Lynn, thank you for so much to think about. There was a lot to unpack. Rage is a powerful force, but being angry about the way something is changes nothing. What does it move you to do? No, really do, says Laura. Maceo has put into the chat a JPEG that I cannot yet see, but it is the, it says it's the West Hall, so I look forward to seeing it. Sarah Knott says, that was incredible. Thank you, Lynn. We'll be watching it again to unpack it all. Indeed, I'm sure that uh, you will not be the only one, Sarah. Carolyn Arnold says, thank you for this platform. This more than any other spoke to me and was very timely. Thank you, Lynn. Hmm. Maceo is putting additional things in that I look forward to being able to see. <laughs> that may just be my computer. Trang says, what struck me was what Valley Corps said, we deserve to live a life without hate with the opportunity to listen. Julie Drizen, that was a powerful, provocative platform. I appreciate Lynn's vulnerability in talking about her own experience with anger. Someone once said, when you scratch at anger, you find hurt. That helps me understand my own anger. Mark Mayer says a lot to think about. I will need to listen to you again. And undoubtedly, there will be a number of us doing that again. Sonia says, the images Maceo has put in the chat can only be seen by downloading them. Ah, they can't be viewed in the chat. That would explain it. Dana may have put something that I missed. Um, Maceo says, how awesome to have Michael and Annie, members who joined during, uh, during the pandemic, I presume, while we were exclusively virtual, light the candle at our first day back in the physical space. Indeed, it's delightful. Abby says, I appreciated the recitation of how we have come into the world with different messages about rage. Joe London says, someone I know is concerned about homelessness and is establishing a new NGO to address this terrible problem. I plan to find a way to join in the effort. Thank you, Dana. Um, with the correction of Lynn's, well, misgendering of Lynn. Um, I appreciate the correction. Maceo says the photos are behind the scenes. I'll make sure they get shared. Thank you. Vincent Tyler says, AV team, the audio is great. The visuals and the transitions are outstanding. All right. Yay. Fabulous job they are doing. Um, and Julie Drizen says, sorry, Lynn, I should have said there and them. We are all learning. <laughs> and Lynn says, it's okay, Julie. 
Randy Myers says, thank you for your focus on deep listening, which is well within the precepts of our community relations pact, something we are all continuing to learn about. Wonderful. Thank you all for your uh, voices in this. Just as we share our perspectives in community, so do we share our material gifts. Here at West, we split the Sunday collection between our operating budget and a fund dedicated to justice and compassion. We appreciate each person's generous giving as they are able. This month, half of the offering is dedicated to food justice, DMV. Our own Ross Wells made a video to tell us more about it. Good morning. It is an honor to have Wes share the plate with Food Justice DMV. Most Wes members are familiar with this grassroots organization that has been providing food to undocumented families since the pandemic began. Food justice has not let up. While many immigrants in our region have gone back to work, many have had their hours cut if they have any work at all. Food insecurity still haunts families and neighborhoods just a stone's throw away from Wes. The COVID toll on black and brown essential workers in the DMV has been devastating. Food justice has helped bridge that gap, providing meals and essential products to 172,000 families and raising over $600,000 to do it. The organization is still all volunteer. Wes has been part of this from the beginning providing volunteers and the funds to get food to the immigrant community during the worst pandemic of our lives. Please give what you can to keep food justice rolling. The link will appear in the chat. Also, founding director Denise Woods and Food Justice will receive the National Unitarian Universalist Social Justice Award on November 7th. This honor is well-deserved and you can join the event by Zoom. The link will appear in the chat. Thank you so much for your generous support. To donate online, go to tiny.cc slash westgives and click through to the donation form. Select share the plate from the drop down menu labeled fund. To learn back to the chat. Okay. So on the slide, you'll see the number to give by text for today's collection. That's 202-335-1885. And you can also make a gift online through the donate button on our website at ethicalsociety.org. We will now receive your gifts and the gift of music.
Thank you so much to the many, many people who helped to create this morning's time together. Guest musicians, Jess Hudman, Dania River, James Underberg, Nat Keefe, and Hot Butter Drum, and interim music coordinator, Liam Morris. Thank you our, to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas. Thank you to slide artists, John and Abby Dagan. Thank you to today's tech team, amazing tech team, John Pfeiffer, John Lika, Sonia Coopers, Kate Lang, Patrick McNeely, and Peter Bishop. Extraordinary work. Thank you to Robin Kravitz for communication support. Thank you to Alex Abbott for hosting the virtual coffee hour following today's platform. And thank you to those who are leading and supporting our work in the weeks to come. As always, this week's this week has a variety of opportunities for West members and friends to connect virtually around shared interests and in support meetings and discussion groups. And we hope you'll join us again next Sunday, November 14th, when interim leader Lynn Cox will continue with part three of a three-part series on See No Stranger. Next week's platform is entitled Breathe and Push. And a few things to celebrate and look forward to today and in the days ahead. Congratulations to the newest member of the Lay Leadership Development Committee, Brian Holland. We trusted that he won the election at the membership meeting and it also seemed appropriate to mention it here in platform. Brian joins Adam Goldberg, Adam Brisket Limehouse and Vincent Tyler Thank you to Sheila Bokum, who is stepping off the LLDC. If you are new to the Washington Ethical Society, please join membership coordinator Maceo Thomas for a Q&A session during vir virtual coffee hour on Zoom. Whether you're just visiting and curious or you're looking for the next step to deepen your involvement with Wes, bring your questions. Ask for the newcomer Q&A breakout group in the Zoom meeting or virtual coffee hour. Cottage meetings, um, the one that is happening today, today's meeting will occur at one o'clock, not 12.30 as you may have seen in um, other communication. That one o'clock meeting, cottage meeting is the only one happening today, but there are plenty of spaces in the meetings um, in the coming week please be sure to sign up for one of them. There is a, uh, a link to the, in an email that you should have received from the Leader Search Committee that has a link to sign up for those cottage meetings. Parents of the seventh and eighth graders there's a mandatory parent orientation for the Our Whole Lives class today, OWL, at 2.30. This is a session for parents only, not for youth. Please plan to attend that by Zoom. You can email Andara Miles if you do not have the link for the meeting. This is a combined effort of Wes and the UUs in Silver Spring. We're very excited to be able to offer this class. So there will be a link to 
communicate with Andara, andaram at ethicalsociety.org. Next Sunday's educational opportunities for children and youth include seek class for third and fifth grade, which will meet November 14th during platform. The ongoing coming of age class will meet after platform next week. The following Sunday, November 21st, there will be a Zoom check-in for elementary age seek high school youth group will meet in person during platform and coming of age will meet after platform. If you aren't already receiving the SEEK newsletter, please contact Andara Miles. Now, who is hungry for stone soup? We're not quite ready for a feast in the hall, so we'll be meeting outside for a stone soup to go. Community celebration on Saturday, November 20th at 2 p.m. on the back patio here at Wes. There are limited volunteer spots for cooks, servers, and cleanup crew. We hope to have some fun activities as well as tasty soup in single serving compostable containers. Bring your own spoon. Check the upcoming edition of News and Notes on Thursday for the sign up link. We are very excited about having an opportunity to do a creative version of Stone Soup. You can find the details for these and all other events on our website calendar at ethicalsociety.org. We're nearing the end of the platform. Whether you've been, on, been with us live on Zoom as a volunteer in the hall or later on the recording, thank you for being here with us. After the closing song and closing words, we'll end this webinar and open up a new Zoom meeting for virtual coffee hour. We'll share the link for that after closing words. Now let's enjoy a closing song from interim music coordinator, Leah Morris. Stranger, no stranger, see no 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 stranger, no stranger, see no
And now I invite you to join me in our closing words for the month. Let us go into the week ahead with compassion, understanding, and commitment, remembering the past and preparing for the future in our quest for a better world. If you are new to our community, please send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, and introduce yourself. To reach virtual coffee hour, point your browser to tiny.cc slash westcoffeehour. Thank you so much for being a part of this experimental platform. Whether online or in person, we'll see you soon. <laughs>